so we've been asking these questions. Now, we're going to be helped by them. We're not going to answer these questions about who am I, where do, is this world I inhabit, etc. But we should be helped. The hope in early chapters of Genesis is to, to, to read it in such a way that we receive the, the imagery, uh, some of the terminology, some of the, the language that the Bible uses to describe not only the created order, but who we are and how we ought to live. So we're going to look at Genesis 2 to place ourselves and our work in God's good creation. So let's dive in as we walk through the book of Genesis this summer. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, ruler of all things in heaven and on earth, hear our prayers for this church as we turn to your word now. Would you strengthen the faithful? Would you awaken the careless? Would you restore the repentant? Grant us all things which are necessary for our shared life and bring us all to be of one heart and mind within your holy church throughout the world. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name we pray. Amen. So who are we and how are we to live are questions we're asking. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 gives us a starting point. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God took the man, he took Adam, put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. Brief review from last week's sermon, we read the order of creation in parallel to portions of Exodus. And we were reading portions, looking at portions of Exodus where God is constructing or commanding this construction of the tabernacle or the temple, the house of worship. And we saw parallel after parallel after parallel to how the creation account was given. If we step back with these two accounts together, we see that the creation of God's world, the creation of all things, is the same image of the creation of the tabernacle. What that tells us is that all of creation is God's house, that all of God's creation is His temple. That's where we ended last week, and we're going to continue on that imagery so we understand what this world is that we occupy, what it is we live. Because that then informs what our vocation or occupation would be. We live in God's temple, which means that mankind, man is created to serve God in his temple. And the Bible has a name for those people, priest. So, I want us to think about who we are created in the image of God as servants in God's house. Our work then would be the work of God's people or divine liturgy. All right, liturgy. The word liturgy comes from two Greek words, letos, which means public or people. And then um, you've got ergos, which means work. Whenever you hear the word liturgy, it simply means it's public work or the work of the people. That's all that liturgy is or should be. Now, liturgy is a very churchy word. You don't read it in Lego instructions. You don't see it anywhere like that. For some, the word liturgy is a scary word. It's equivalent to dead faith, or at best, a very boring hour and 15 together. It's a category, though, for structure in our service. And we often fail to think of our lives as public work in service to God. So what I want us to begin to think about is what we're, the work that we're doing here is an imitation or it's a pattern of the work that we do out there. 
We should be formed and shaped in this time together to live lives wholly pleasing to our God, giving life to the world. If all the world is his temple, we are created to serve him in his temple, which means that man is created a liturgical being. Our role is to work and to keep God's house, God's world. That's what it means in part when he says he's given us dominion over all creation. Now, as we go into Genesis chapter 2, we'll see the first three verses complete the seventh day of creation, and then chapter 2 moves on to, to zoom in a little bit on the sixth day, on the creation of man. Uh, so we'll see our posture before God and our responsibility in this world. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. God's creation, His temple, His house is created. It's good. And we find our place in it. For six mornings and evenings, we hear it is good. It is good. And it's capped after good, 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 good with man's creation. It is very good. And then we Sabbath rest with God here for a paragraph, and then we enter into this phrase, these are the generations of. It's the first of ten times that phrase occurs in the book of Genesis. It's a phrase that reminds us that this is our story, our history, our purpose woven into the person and the purpose of our Creator, which means that we either serve God, our Creator, as He designs, or we rebel against him and despise the house in which he has created. To inhabit our story as God intended, we must inhabit it the way he created it. So, who then are we? Verse 5 of chapter 2. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. A mist was going up from the land, was watering the whole face of the earth. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living creature. Who am I? Who are we? We are image bearers. We bear the image of God to serve him in his whole house. Humanity bears the image of God, which means we're made by divine community for divine community for earthly community. Each of us bears dignity and worth. No such, there's no such thing as a mere mortal. All of us, everyone that we come into contact with throughout our days and world in this world, they're infinite glories. We are destined for eternal joys or unending sorrows. God's temple, this world, could not flourish without man's just dominion. His care for it. His working it. Now, do we abuse our authority? Do we overstep our boundaries? Do we rule this world tyrannically? Yes, yes, yes. But there's fictions, there's stories out there that say the world would flourish if only man were extinct. And those stories are just that. They are fiction. The first thing you get from Genesis 2 is that without man in this created order, it was not good. It was not sufficient. It was not complete. We are image bearers created to work God's creation, His temple. As God sang forth from the earth, root and shoot, 
for leaf and fruit on the third day, so the parallel sixth day, which we zoom in on here, man springs forth from the earth. From the dust, Adama springs forth man, Adam. And he is made, he is created, into whom God himself breathes his very spirit, his very life, his breath. Created in God's image, we work, we serve in God's cosmic temple. We are to be priests. But what again is this place we inhabit? Look at verse 8 here and following. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. There he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Image bearers serving in God's house. Humanity bears the image of God. We're made for divine community. And where do we live? We live in the garden, which is given for life in God. The whole world is God's temple, and he creates within that house a sanctuary, a garden sanctuary, where he dwells with man. Two trees are named, promising life, promising wisdom, the fruit of which would be word and sacraments throughout the ages. Our world is good, it is beautiful, it is glorious. Today, it is inhabited with thorns and thistles, but yet at creation, God says it is good, it is good. It is very good. It's good for food. That's what it says. Pleasant to the sight and good for food. Which means that this, God created man a hungry being. From creation, we are hungry creatures. You don't know if you have teenage boys, you don't even tell you that. Adam and Eve created young, infantile. God gifts all necessities and grants proper pleasures. This world is our home and it is teeming with life, with joy, with wisdom, with love. Man becomes what man eats. To eat of God's tree is to take in his life, but only as God gives, only as God commands. We are created in his image. We inhabit God's garden sanctuary to work, to serve as God designs. But it's a garden sanctuary for what? purpose. If all the world is this temple, what is the purpose of this garden in the land of Eden, in the east of the land of Eden? Chapter 2, verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. There it divided and came, became four rivers. The name of the first was the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is that one that flows around the whole of the land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Thank you for the geography lesson. That's super helpful, right? Is that what you're thinking? What is this all about here? Well, he's, we're, we're doing, it's describing for us a garden sanctuary. And the garden sanctuary is a place for worship. It's described as a high place. See, Eden is this land, and in it, God places in the east a flourishing garden that is a high place. How do we know it's a high place from the reading of the text? How do you know it's a high place? Del Brock says there's only two things you need to know about plumbing. First of all, water runs downhill. Secondly, don't lick your fingers.
we get this image of the land of Eden being watered and the rivers are running to the garden and then down from the garden to water the rest of the land. Eden is a high place and throughout scripture we see the high places as a place of worship as a sanctuary. So God has constructed his holy house, a house for his whole name. And in that holy house, he has constructed a garden sanctuary, a high place. And it's described using gold and these precious gems which signify glorified humanity. And its light is reflected. Trees would later be woven into the fabric of the tabernacle. When you read Exodus and Deuteronomy, in parallel with the Genesis creation, what you see is the tabernacle is a reflection or an image of the Garden of Eden. The holy place is a garden sanctuary. Abraham set up high places wherever he went. So Moses was high on Sinai when God spoke with him. High places of false worship continually led Israel astray. And finally, Jesus prays with his disciples in the upper room. Jesus declared from the steps of the temple, he says, I am the living water which goes out to the world. He was finally lifted high upon the cross, and upon his resurrection, he ascended to the high place at God's right hand. High places are an imitation of the garden which is in the east of the land of Eden. A sanctuary in the cosmic house built for God's name. The place where God dwells, where he speaks with Adam, where he models life in God. Adam, a servant in God's house, is a gardener, worshiping through his work and through his play. Are we getting a vision for God's creation, at least in the terminology that Scripture gives us in part here? He's created all things as a house for his name as a holy temple, and in that house he gives a garden sanctuary. And now what is this work to which Adam is called? We've said it before, he's a priest. And now we'll have to talk about what priest means because it's, it's full with, ter- the terminology is full. But here we go, look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you will die. That you eat of it, you shall surely die. So man is a priest in God's house. But I want us to think, for you Downton Abbey fans, like the, the image is more of Mr. Carson, okay? Priests are the downstairs people. Servants doing God's bidding. Created in God's image, man's work is man's calling, sourced in his unique identity created in his image. And therefore, work is good. Work is meaningful. Adam was created for what purpose? You see the two purposes in verse 15? To work the garden, to keep the garden, to work the sanctuary, to guard, keep the sanctuary, to tend the sanctuary, to guard the sanctuary. Again, were we to read this section in parallel to Exodus and, and in Deuteronomy, wherever God is instructing the priests, the terminology that he uses is to work and to keep in the tabernacle. To work and to keep, to tend and to guard. Here Adam is commanded as a priest in God's garden sanctuary to serve under the command and the grace of God, inhabiting the space which is glorified with precious metals and gems, rivers flowing out to feed the world 
Adam as priest, as a servant in God's house. Look at what he does, verse 19. We're skipping down just a bit. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. His work is imitating God's creative work. We don't see it all in this little breakdown here. But what God did with creation was he took hold of it and he gave thanks, blessed it, didn't he? And then he would break it and he would remake it. And then he names it and he blesses it. Now what, what Adam is given the task to do is to take hold of these animals. And in gratitude, he is to separate them. And then he's to reorganize them. And then he gives them name, authority of dominion. And he blesses. It is good. It is good. Whatever dominion looks like, it must imitate the work and the keeping of God in his sanctuary. Adam is to work and to keep the garden sanctuary, to take hold, to thank God, to break down what he has been given, to remake it more glorious, to name it and to end with blessing or benediction. Imaging God must mean that we work, or that our work imitates His work. Man, or Adam, is given dignity in God's image, authority in His command over the earth and animal alike. And that work is at base to guard and to tend, to work and to keep. Adam is a priest in God's garden sanctuary. He is a liturgical being in the Garden of Eden. Now, as we think about our callings and vocations, it's very true, isn't it, that our work can become the center and the source of who we are, which means that we tend to bow down to something created and not the Creator Himself. And the reality is no vocation can bear or withstand that weight of glory. Man in the Garden Sanctuary is a priest-servant in God's house. Though we see created good, not all is good. Look at verse 18. Verse, uh, yeah, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And then the second part of verse 20, he says, But for Adam there was not, a, a, not found a helper fit for him. Interesting. There's a problem in God's house, created good and very good. There's a problem here, isn't there? It's, it, it startles us a little bit. It says it's not good. That's what, that's what he says in verse 18. As the Lord looks about his creation, it is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. And none can really question God's wisdom in declaring it is not good that man should be alone. Were they to glimpse into my college dorm room, it is not good. That man should be alone. To visit our home if Deborah's gone for a day or two, it is not good. We are a mess and I am a wreck. It is not good that man should be alone. Now the word helper here, which describes the, 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 the Eve and her role, the word helper tends to scratch our modern ears like fingernails on a chalkboard, but we must be careful not to read modern sensibilities into this because helper here is not describing a person who is inferior or less competent, less intelligent, 
No, what this passage is telling us here is that there's something, someone is missing from the garden that could not be found amongst all the created beings, all the creatures, none of them could be found to complete what man's design is in the garden. The work in the garden could not be carried out well. Something glorious was lacking in God's garden house. God's garden servant was inadequate, less glorious. In the image of God, from the flesh and bone of man, woman was created. From the ish man, from the ish man comes isha, woman. From Adam comes Eve, verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha, because she was taken out of Ish. Like a grain of wheat falling into the ground to die, God placed Adam into a deep, death-like sleep to bring from his bone, from his flesh, woman, to bring forth Eve, created equal in dignity, glory, competency, authority, innocence, yet different, complementing the other, completing or glorifying. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says that woman is the glory of man. Man is created as priest in God's cosmic house, together with woman, helper in the cosmic liturgy, in the work of the people, together, call, response. Adam was given responsibility and authority to lead, the woman to labor alongside. God gave his word to Adam, who then gave it to Eve, who was then, he then was to tend to keep this sanctuary garden and his bride in it, who would assist him, who would respond as he speaks to her God's word. Now, this image does form our image as we gather for worship week in and week out. All the world is God's temple, and God's gathered people are God's garden sanctuary. We are God's royal priesthood, God's holy nation. In this garden, we are given God's word through the mouth of his priest or his pastor, one who is called and ordained. The pastor, the elder, is to be an Adam under the authority and the dominion of the second Adam, whom he represents. So the up front, speaking from God through his vessel, through his Adam. And then we as a congregation, we take up Eve's mantle, responding in prayer, in praise, then we profess our faith. We sing. Genesis chapter 2 shows us a form of liturgical man working and keeping God's garden sanctuary. In the image of God's liturgical woman responding, laboring alongside. It's a beautiful image. It's an image of marriage, and that's where we end Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, obviously, not all are called to a union of marriage, and not all marriage unions are healthy 
and good. And yet what is described in Genesis 2 here is a union of the image of God. It's uniting Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uniting himself to his people. This is the image of the bride and the bridegroom, which we seek to enter into week in and week out. In our gathered service, you have the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, speaking words of welcome through his ordained servants. And so we as his people come, invited to worship, to sing praise. The bridegroom then calls out to his bride to confess our sins and then to rise in assurance of our forgiveness in the blood of our bridegroom. And we, the bride, respond, confessing, and we rise in humble gratitude and praise. The bridegroom then speaks his word, and the bride then responds, giving ourselves through our tithes and offerings. When he speaks his word, we receive gladly, attentively, giving ourselves back to him. And then we sit at table with him our bridegroom. He invites us, his bride, to sit, to enjoy Sabbath rest for his recreative work for us climaxes in communion, led by God's ordained Adam, ordained priest, the image of the bridegroom dwelling with his bride. In our garden sanctuary, we have bridegroom representatives working and keeping this sanctuary garden. The bride helping, responding, now, in our society, there's a lot of confusion about these things that I'm talking about. Regarding marriage, the only form given by God leading to human flourishing is of one man and one woman united in imitation of God, imaging Him in communion with Himself and with others. The foundation of man and woman created in God's image to serve in God's sanctuary, to depart in the peace of Christ, our bridegroom, to serve the world. This is the image in which Christians depart from their gatherings week in and week out. So let's step back. Shakespeare was pretty close, wasn't he? He said, all the world is a stage. That's pretty close. What does Genesis 1 and 2 tell us? All the world is a house for God's name. All the world is a temple. And the Bible portrays the world as a house for God's name. The Bible portrays that we who are created from dust, we who bear His glorious image, we are but servants eager to do His bidding. And our only hope to imitate this calling in this world faithfully is that we would hide ourselves in our great high priest, who is the second and the final Adam, our priest who is Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the liturgical man. He lives to do the work of the Father and to guard or protect His sanctuary and His people. He works on behalf of His people which are tainted by sin. For Him to work and to keep the garden sanctuary, to keep and to guard His priestly servants requires required a giving of himself. See, Jesus, too, was buried in not a death-like sleep, but he was buried in a death in order that we might become his body, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. 
And as glorious as these realities are that form us, that shape us for a life here together and out in the world, as glorious these things are, it will be even more glorious one day. For our bridegroom will return. And when he returns, no elder will be up front. No pastor or priest will occupy this position. But we will humbly lay down our mantles. We will sit, stand, sing, praise, confess, worship with the bride. When our bridegroom comes, he will restore all relationships within the church and throughout the world. We will all join the throng throughout the world as the body of Christ, as part of his bride. Wed to our beloved bridegroom, we will be recreated in his image from one degree of glory to the next, for we shall see him as he is. So, in the here and in the now, we rehearse this final most glorious day of recreation. As we gather week in and week out, we see through the ordained Adams beholding Christ himself. We bend knee in confession as part of our work. We are kept in his forgiveness as we seek to keep his word in order that we might depart in his peace to then give ourselves as priests for the life of the world. For all of this world is his, a house for his name, and we who are built upon Christ as the chief cornerstone, we become his temple, which is given for the life of the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, who has filled the world with your beauty, would you open our eyes to behold your gracious hand in all your works, that rejoicing in your whole creation, we may learn to serve you with gladness. Would you make us always thankful for your loving providence? Grant that we, remembering the account that we must one day give, may be faithful stewards of your good gifts through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen.